You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. So today is a good day to be talking about food because we've got a lot of food going on. We've already had dinner, which uh, again, Chelsea Free Methodist brought all our dinner, made all our dinner today. Should you give them one more round of applause? It gives our cooks a great break when other people come in and do that. Uh, and you can also give them a break by <laughs> becoming one, uh, joining our cooking team. So talk to me later if you'd like to try that out. Uh, but today we're going to talk about food in the Bible, specifically... We're going to talk about miracle food in the Bible. Because it's kind of strange. You know, you, you think like if God was going to come down and do something amazing, you, you'd think it'd be like pulling people out of wheelchairs and healing them, helping them walk. And here's the thing. He did those things. But he did some cool tricks with food as well as you might have heard. Matthew 14, 13 to 21 is what we'll be looking at a bit. But first, we're going to go back to the beginning of the Bible. And we're going to look at a few stories about the tricks that God has done with food before, starting with Moses and a story of manna. Now, I don't know if you heard the story before. Uh, you might have, a lot of you might have, but here's how it goes. God, God's people are enslaved and imprisoned by the leaders in Egypt. And they're being persecuted, they're being hurt, and God sees all their pain, and he says, okay, I'm going to free them, I'm going to pull them out of this oppression And I'm going to make them my people because that's what I've destined them to be. So God sees them and all their oppression. And he uh, takes out a guy named Moses. uh, Pictured right there. I have no idea if that's what he looked like. But (laughs) picture is black and white. So maybe it was closer to the time than today. I don't. I'm just kidding. Either way, uh, that's, that's Moses up there on the screen. Moses is a very reluctant guy. I mean, man, if you pay attention to the things Moses says when God calls him to do this stuff. He basically keeps trying to say no and get out of it for like three chapters straight. It's, it's really funny. Well, it's really sad and funny. But anyways, uh, Moses is this reluctant prophet. Eventually, he takes a job uh, and he goes on God's behalf to start to free God's people from the slavery that they're in in Egypt. A bunch of uh, supernatural things happen and eventually the leaders in Egypt are like, all right. Uh, send them out. We don't want them here anymore. Their God is their God, and they need to go with their God. So all of God's people leave Egypt, and more miraculous things happen, and then they get to the desert. And uh, it ends up that it doesn't take very long to whine in the desert. <laughs> I haven't been to a desert myself. Anybody been to a desert? Cool. Some of you have been to deserts. Cool. I've been to a beach. It's basically the same, I think, except water, <laughs> which is missing in deserts. Uh, anyways, um, here in the desert, they start whining very quickly. Even though God has done all these amazing things, they start whining, and they're hungry, they want some food. Apparently, they don't feel like killing all these animals that they've taken with them. And since it's a desert, it's kind of hard to you know, just find a bunch of food, especially when you've got to feed thousands of people who are walking together in this parade through the wilderness, Right? So God tells them, here's what I'm going to do. I've heard your whining, your beautiful whining, and I am going to give you bread from heaven. 
I'm going to give you what they end up calling manna. So I try to imagine what this would be like. Kind of like last night, right? So you look outside, you see there's precipitation, and you're pretty sure it's got to be rain because it's freaking April something. And you're like, there's no way that that's snow. And then you find out it's snow, right? It's unexpected. So I imagine what that must have been like for them. They're walking through the desert, and they're like, hey, what's that? Is it, is it rain? Is it, is it, do they even know what snow is in the desert? Probably not. Anyways, it starts coming towards them. It starts landing. And as it lands on, on the ground, they, they pick it up. And they realize it's, it's kind of bread-like. It's kind of, yeah, it, it looks edible. It smells good. And, and they take a bite. And they say, manna. Which literally means, what is it? <laughs> so, like whenever you go to the movie theater and you buy a bag of those whatchamacallits, it's basically English for manna, I think, is more or less what that chocolate is. So, you, you know, that, that's what manna means in Hebrew is, what is it? Whatever it is, they ate a lot of what is it for the next uh, few years walking through, the next few decades, really. So they're eating what is it all the time. It's falling from the heavens. God has heard their whining. He's heard their prayers. And he takes care of them supernaturally. I mean, this is crazy, right? Bread doesn't rain from the heavens, you guys. <laughs> but God took care of his people. Even if that meant going to incredible supernatural lengths to do it. And so bread, manna, what is it, what you call it, rains down from heaven. And they have enough to put in their bowls. And apparently they have enough to even take more than that, though they're told specifically you need to take just what you need for the day. So they go out with their baskets and they collect the supernatural food of heaven as God takes care of them. Now let's fast forward. We get to two prophets named Elijah and Elisha, which super helpful right there. There's an S and a J. There's a difference. Not that you can really tell. Elijah gets a protege named Elisha and uh, the two of them... Uh, he, he gets ready to kind of train Elisha to take his job when he departs. But at the beginning of Elijah's story, he comes in contact with a woman at a gate of a city. And God told him to go to this place and he would meet a widow. And when he meets this widow, he's going to, uh, she's going to give him food. So he goes with this prophetic word, this widow is going to feed me. He goes there and he's like, hey, there's the widow. Hey, can I have a drink? You know, maybe you should have explained that God sent him there first. I don't know. Uh, either way, she's like, uh, okay. So she goes to get a drink, but then he sees, you know, he wants some bread too. He's like, also, uh, could you bring me back some bread with that water? <laughs> and her response is this. Um, so this is the last of our flour and the last of our oil. I'm literally going to go cook it. And then me and my son are just going to die because it's a drought. It's a drought at the time. There's no rain. Therefore, there's no crops. Therefore, it's no food. So this widow's like, yeah, look, if I give you bread, you know, that was like me and my son's like last, last meal. Like in prison, you know, you got that last meal. That's what it is for them. This is our last meal, and then it's good. And all it is is a piece of bread. And Elijah says, mm, here's what the Lord says. Go and make me some bread. <laughs> Always great to start there. The Lord says, make me bread. Hasn't worked in my house, let me tell No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, it was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> it's condemnable. Okay, so, um, where was I? Right, go make me some bread. And then God says he will fill up your flour and your oil. 
And that's exactly what happened. She goes and she makes flour, or she goes and she makes bread. She brings it to Elijah. Elijah eats it. When she returns to her house, her jar of oil is filled and her jar of flour is filled and it constantly refills itself all the way until the drought ends. So God takes care of her for being faithful to what, what he has asked her to do all the way until she can take care of herself again. And so you see this supernatural food miracle happen, food being multiplied before Jesus enters the scene. Then we get to Elisha. Elisha must have liked food because he did this trick twice. Okay? So Elisha runs into, uh, where's my first story? Right, okay, so he's got a bunch of prophets who work alongside him. Elisha would be like a father prophet, but the Bible talks about people called sons of prophets, which, you know, just think like Catholic. You've got the father, you've got the sons, maybe two, right? I, I don't know. Um, but you've got father, you've got son. It's the same thing in kind of the prophetic world in ancient times, father prophet, son prophets. Now, the, uh, one of the sons of the prophets passed away, and he left behind him a widow, and he left behind him some children. And the widow comes to this father prophet, Elisha, and says, look, my, my, my uh, husband's died. You know that he worked for you. You know that he feared the Lord, that he served God. And yet what's happening to me right now is we've got a lot of debt. We've got no money. And the creditors are coming right now. And since I have no collateral, they're just going to take my children as slaves. That's, that's all I got left to give. And, you know, my husband served... Can you help me? And so Elisha uh, talks of a miracle God's going to do. He says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go back. I want you to go to all your neighbor's houses. I want you to get as many jars as you can, as many containers as you can. And you're going to go home with your sons. You're going to shut the door behind you. And you're going to take what oil you do have left and start pouring it into the jar. So she does this. She goes home. She collects as many jars as she can from the neighbors and whatever. And then she starts pouring, pouring what oil she has into the jar, and it just doesn't stop. It keeps coming out until the jar starts filling up. And then her son, she says, grab another one. And they grab another one. They fill it up. They grab another one. They fill it up. They keep filling it up until finally she's like, all right, bring another one. And he's like, we don't have any more. It's, it's all we got. And at that moment, the jar of oil stops leaking oil. There's no more of that, which is an interesting... You still hear about these miracles today of things leaking holy oil is what they call it. Uh, it's kind of like a continuation, a sign of stuff like that. Um, but it, it fills up, and then it runs out. And so she sets it off to the side, and she goes back to Elisha. She's like, okay, now what? He's like, well, now you've got plenty of oil. Go sell it. And you will find that you have enough money to pay off all your debts, keep your children, and then you're going to have some leftover to take care of yourself. God comes to the scene and multiplies food in a supernatural way to take care of this family. And then we fast forward one more time to another story with Elisha where a guy comes to bring the first fruits to Elisha. So like, it sounds like he's bringing like an offering uh, to God, but giving it to the prophets. You did this with the priests. The priests then would eat that part of that food and sacrifice the rest to God. It's part of how the priesthood uh, survived because they didn't get paid otherwise. So in the same sense, this is what uh, it seems to happen with the prophets. They brought the prophets' food. But here's what Elisha told this guy. He brings 20 loaves of bread, and he says, okay, uh, why don't you feed the prophets? And this guy's like, I got 20 loaves of bread, man. And obviously these were small 
small loaves because he's like, there's 100 people in this room. How am I supposed to feed 100 people with 20 loaves of bread? Even if I split that in half, that's 40, you know? So Elisha says, do it, and it's going to be fine. You're going to find even more left over. Or not even more. You're just going to find some even left over at the end of this. So he gives the people bread, and it just keeps coming, and it just keeps coming until he's fed the whole room, and then there's some left over. Now, this should sound familiar if you're used to the story of Jesus feeding people. Oftentimes in the Gospels, he feeds people not just once, but twice. So let's look at Matthew 14, one of our stories where he feeds people. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and Jesus had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish, which I think another gospel says like they took from some kid, which is hilarious. I mean, the disciples are like your lunch school bullies, right? Hey, kid, give me your fish. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. People are going. <laughs> uh, I'm sure the kid gave it willingly. I'm sure, there was no bruises or anything. Uh, and he, unless it was the Sons of Thunder, those decided. You don't know what they did. Um, anyways, they have these these loaves and these fish, and Jesus said, "Bring them here to me." Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So in other words, somewhere between six to 10,000 people were just fed. You know, a stadium, a football stadium of, I don't know how big a football stadium is, but that's probably a good size, right? Five to 10,000 people being fed by two fish and five loaves of bread. Now, this is a direct callback to what Elisha did, right? It's the same story. Ah, here's all we got. Okay, well, let's feed these people. Hey, there's some left over. In fact, we can tell, like, Matthew has Elisha's story in mind because what Jesus tells his disciples is, you go feed them. That's actually more or less the same paraphrasing of what Elisha told this man who brought these 20 loaves to do. So it's a callback. The Bible wants you to remember, remember what Elisha did? Well, now Jesus has done it too. But Elisha, man, he fed 100 people. Jesus just fed 10,000 people, which is five loaves of bread, even less than what that guy had, and two fish. Jesus just fed a football stadium of people with the kids' lunch. (laughs) It's pretty impressive, right? And that's maybe not the only thing that's coming to our minds because Jesus is here in the wilderness feeding people. And when we look at the story of manna, the supernatural feeding of the masses of thousands of people by God's supernatural provision, we see them out like in the wilderness, in the desolate place, in the desert, trying to find food. And now Jesus, and in one instance you have in the Old Testament, God from the heavens sending food from above. And in this new instance, you have God in flesh right in front of you, sending food from right in front of you, feeding the people all around him on this massive scale. It's just so blown out of proportion. We can't even imagine it. And of course, he's going to do it again. 
But you know, it's funny, even though he does it again, people still have a hard time believing it. Remember this in Mark? We talked about it in Mark. It's hilarious. Disciples are like, Jesus, how are we going to feed these people? He's like, watch, multiplies food. Two chapters later, Jesus, how are we going to feed these people? Do you not remember what I did last time? Right? And so he multiplies food. Now you think they got it. Next, they get in a boat. You remember this story? They're in a boat and Jesus is talking about bread and it like sparks something in their mind. They're like, oh, oh crap. We forgot to buy bread. Jesus, what are we going to do? I fed 9,000 people in the last four paragraphs of the Bible. What do you mean? What are we going to do? You know, like, anyways, this is how slow it takes us to grow faith in some of this stuff sometimes, right? But Jesus shows us, have faith in me, my father is generous. And we see Jesus being connected back to the manna. The source of the manna in the heavens is now standing right in front of you, multiplying food supernaturally, handing it out to you. In fact, John, the Gospel of John, really saw Jesus in a manna light because after Jesus has fed the 5,000 in the Gospel of John, the people come up to him and they say, okay, now bring manna down from heaven. What a weird thing. Why, <laughs> why would you jump there? Well, for two reasons. One, they just saw food come from him. Now they want to see it come from the skies because you don't really find this in the Bible, but you do find it in uh, Jewish literature of the time, Second Baruch, very popular Jewish book. Uh, you also find rabbis were teaching this. When we look at like ancient teaching, the people of Jesus's time believed that when the real Messiah showed up, he was going to bring back the manna from heaven. So they come up to Jesus, and they want him to do that. They want to see this sign. So like, okay, you fed us right here. Now bring manna down from heaven. And that sparks this whole discourse in Jesus in the book of John, where he's like, look, I'm not going to give you manna. If you want bread, if you want the bread of life that you're searching for, guess who it is? It's me. And then he goes on to talk about communion, which is what we practice in the church to today. We take bread, we eat it, and we remember Jesus' body. And we take juice or wine and we drink it and we remember Jesus' blood. Jesus then starts talking about those things. I broke my body so that you might live. I poured out my blood so that you might live. If you want the real manna, if you want the real bread of life that's going to keep you full, that's going to give you eternal life, then you're not looking for something physical. You're looking for something spiritual, which is Jesus himself. And so we find that Jesus feeding the 5,000, we see connections back to all the miracles of food from olden times, from Elisha, from, from the manna, to the point that Jesus takes his body and says, this is the real bread that you've been searching for, the real manna, the real, what is it, what you might call it, right here in front of you. Throughout these stories, we see that God is generous time and time again, Right? Look, when my kids whine to me about wanting something, a lot of times they just don't get it. <laughs> right? right? No, you're all better parents than me. Uh, when my kids whine to me, sometimes they don't get it. It's part of the learning tool. But God is generous and gracious. They've just been in the desert for a few days. Just a few days. They just crossed a sea that miraculously opened for them to walk over after watching God do even more amazing things before that. And now they're like, oh, God, we want food. And then there's the father version of James. He's like, no, you don't get no food. Well, that's okay. Not a good example. No, you can't play video games right now, you know. <laughs> um, and then there's the father version of God. who's like, all right, you want food? 
I will rain down food from the heavens. The generosity right there. Fast forward and you get to Elisha who comes, Elijah, excuse me, who comes across this widow who is in the middle of a drought and people around her are probably dying. That's what she expects. I'm going to go eat this bread and then I'm just going to go die. Me and my kid, we're both going to die. That's what she's left with. But then God enters the stage and he's generous to the end. Look, I'll keep that filling. Your, your flour, your oil, all the way until you don't need it anymore, I will take care of you. You have been faithful to me and giving my prophet some food to eat when you had none to eat yourself. So I pour out my blessing, my generosity on you. It's not even the people who do things for God. Jesus says God's generous to everyone, right? Says he makes it rain not just on the just, the people who do good, but he makes it rain on the wicked. In other words, people need rain to survive. They need water to survive. They need their crops taken care of. And God is the kind of God who is so generous that whether you're good or bad, just, righteous, or wicked, he will send you rain because he knows you need it. That's the kind of loving, generous father that God is. You look at the stories of Elisha and you continue to see the generosity pour out. This guy who, who comes to watch this miracle of all these people being fed. He came generously Here's this offering that I'm giving to God. And God takes it and he turns it into something he never could have imagined that it could be. And this widow who's like, oh man, I'm not going to be able to keep my kids. They're collateral. They're going to be taken by, by these people I owe debt to. And maybe this is one of the greatest stories of generosity at all uh, it, that we talk about tonight. Did you realize that woman's ability to receive the generosity of God was based on her ability to have faith that God was generous. She filled up as many pots as she could find. Now, I gotta tell you, by the time she filled up, I don't know how many pots she had, it doesn't say. But by the time she filled up like the fourth one, if I was her, I'd probably be like, oh snap, we need more pots. You know, like kids, get out of here, go to all the more neighbors and get even more pots. Uh, but she only had whatever she had in the room, which means if she had a hundred in there, they would have all been filled up in God's generosity. Her ability to receive God's generosity was completely on her amount to put faith into how many jars she could fill. Perhaps not even sure that this thing was going to work out in the first place. God is a generous God. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know, Jamin, I just don't sense that. I just don't feel that. I don't, I, I, maybe you came here tonight because you need food. Maybe you come to our dinners because you actually need to eat. Maybe you came tonight because you have the food bank. And you're like, look, if God was a generous God, he would take care of me. I wouldn't need to go places for food. I wouldn't need to go places uh, to get food bank items. But look. The Bible tells us that God has his eye on things that are seemingly insignificant to us. He has his eye on the birds. It's that old gospel tune, right? Eye on the sparrow. Burst it out. Someone's going to burst it out. No, I don't know it very well or I would. Anyways, yeah, Pat's on it. Pat's on it. Um, that, That song right there is based on the fact that God sees the birds. Jesus tells us God sees the birds. He knows what birds need. He knows they got to eat worms. He's taking care of them. He's watching over them. The Bible says he takes care of grass. Grass. One day you got grass, the next day you mow it down. And the Bible's like, yeah, God cares about that. Why does Jesus tell us this? Because his point is, of course, if he cares about birds, if he cares about inanimate grass, 
Of course he cares about you as a human being. You are the kings and queens of creation. Nothing else on the planet is made in his image, but you are. So of course, if he cares about birds, if he cares about grass, he cares about you. And there's nothing going on in your life that he hasn't caught on to. And part of the generosity of his, his generosity that, that you will experience is going to things like dinners and food banks. You realize that's God setting those up, right? This group here tonight that's been cooking you food, they, they don't just do that because they feel like they could do something on a Sunday night that would take them all day to cook food. They do that because Jesus has compelled them to give, to take care of those around them. And Jesus said it himself, like, when you feed someone around you, you're feeding me. So it's not even just like, ah, sustenance, let's make sure that they eat something. It's no, if you feed Jesus, if you feed a Someone who's hungry, you're feeding Jesus. You better be cooking Jesus the best meal that you can make, right? And so if you're coming to get food tonight, the reason that we have food in the first place is because of the generosity of God compelling us to take care of it. Yes, he can supernaturally step in, but he ordered the world in such a way that it's supposed to take care of itself if it's following him. Satan is the chaotic element that tries to enter in and throw off the order. So when you find people who are homeless, when you find people who are hungry, when you find people who can't take care of themselves, it's because the chaos has entered in in some way. Because if God had his way, everything would be taken care of. And yes, he has a capacity to step in and do it supernaturally, but he expects his followers to do it on his behalf. And so we who find ourselves in this place as Christians today, we have a heavy burden on us to love those around us. It's why our vision is what it is. Create space, foster growth, love people. We do all this because it's how we love God. His eyes on the birds. Of course, it's on the people. So our eyes, too, need to be on these things. Now, as uh, we get ready to partake in the generosity. I want to look at one last passage as we close out, just to get it in your mind every day that you serve a generous God who is calling you to look to Jesus for the true bread of life. Matthew 6, we find the Lord's Prayer, which a lot of people have memorized. I'll put it on the screen. We're going to pause in a second, but read it along with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our epiusios bread. <laughs> Y'all got thrown off there. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're following it. Interesting here. Uh, the Greek word for give us this day our daily bread. The Greek word for daily is epiusios. Does anyone know what that means? We don't either. No one knows what that means. This is what's called a new Greek word. In other words, it doesn't exist in Greek its creation is in the Bible. The Christians made it up. Now, we know, you know, when you live in a culture and someone makes up a new word and it catches on, you all know what it means, right? Like mansplaining. That's a new word. Man, mansplaining. It's when a man tries to explain something to you. So derogatory and annoying, right? So that becomes this new word. People here are like, ah, oh, stop mansplaining to me. <laughs> but you've caught the root words. You've got man. And you've got explaining, you put them together, you get mansplaining. So, in the Bible, 
Apparently, in Greek, the Christians saw an important word behind this. Give us this day our epiousios bread. And traditionally, it's been translated as daily, right? But I want to point out a few weird things about that. You realize that's super repetitive and weird? Give us today our daily bread. Why would you make up a new word to say the same thing twice in one sentence? That's kind of weird. <laughs> but that's the way we usually translate it. Give us today our daily bread, our future bread, tomorrow's bread. There's been a lot of different things thrown around. But in the end, we can only guess because epiousios isn't a Greek word. It's something the Christians came up with. We've only seen it in two Gospels, and we found it on an ancient shopping list. So whatever epiousios is, it seems weird that it would be daily bread. Because Jesus could have just said, give us today our bread. <laughs> it would be literally the same thing, and you wouldn't have to confuse people by making up a new word. Now, uh, there's one scholar, a Catholic scholar, um, Brant Petrie, who I think he's got a good point on this. When we look at some of uh, the early church fathers, how they translated it, some of them would say, give us today our supernatural bread. Now, if you take epi, you get the words up, upon, or above. And if you translate usios, you get like substance, being. So think of like, give me today the substance of above bread, supernatural bread. If we take it this way, suddenly we're looking again, we're foreshadowing communion. We're foreshadowing Jesus as the true bread of life. Give me today my supernatural bread. And that fits with where we just were, right? We were talking about heaven already anyways. We were all talking, the, the Lord's prayer is a lot about spiritual stuff. So you add in supernatural bread and suddenly we feel like we're kind of going along. So rather than make up a new word just to say the word daily, I think it makes a lot more sense to add in the word supernatural. Give us today our supernatural bread. Give us today our bread from above. Give us today... Our manna, the true manna, the bread of life, Jesus himself. Give us today Jesus himself as he nourishes us, as he takes care of us. Revelation goes on to do the same thing. Jesus says, uh, if you follow me, I will give you some of the hidden manna. And since John wrote that and John already looked at uh, manna as Jesus himself, it makes sense. John's tracking Follow me and I will give you myself. I will give you Jesus himself, the real bread of life, the real manna from above, the supernatural bread, the bread from the heavens, the what you may call it, the what is it. So as we come tonight, keep that in mind. As you continue to pray, I need real bread. I need the true bread. I need Jesus. There's even some stories of old Catholic saints who did just that. They fasted for like 40 years they literally only ate communion for that time and somehow lived. That's how the legends go anyways. It's crazy. <laughs> Not only were they living off it spiritually, but physically. So as the band comes up, we're going to enter into a time of worship. Um, not thinking of just food, but thinking of the meaning behind the one behind that miracle food. The bread of life himself.